episode 205 of the E-News podcast, a digest and or conversations on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. If you have an editorial you'd like to read or have us read for you, let us know by emailing it to us at podcast at anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? Interview on the situation of anarchist comrades Monica Caballero and Francisco Solar from AMW English. An interview about Monica and Francisco by a Brazilian anarchist website named something like Faxal Fiticia. The people being interviewed are from a support group for subversive prisoners in Chile. This gives some background, some updates about the trial, some of the ways that they are being treated badly in ways that are similar to other prisoners and some ways that are different, what's up in Chile in general at the moment, etc. Quote, question. Finally, how can people in solidarity support the campaign for the freedom of Monica and Francisco? Answer. On the ways in which it can be supported, this response lies in the creative capacity of each person from dissemination, agitation, to the collection of economic funds, as well as direct communication with them through letters, contemplating them in projects, or simply raising your own solidarity initiative. Unquote. Phoenix Rising from It's Going Down. It's interesting that there are still police forces in the U.S. that don't have experience with riots. This story from a Phoenix, Arizona person on how the George Floyd street responses went down is mostly about that stage in cop learning. Quote, It was clear on that first night that hardly anyone in the streets knew what to do, but the police didn't know what to do either. Typically, when it pops off, in Phoenix, the crowd gets tear-gassed, pepper-sprayed, and shot, causing most of everyone to scatter, leaving behind a small contingent of the more dedicated individuals to pitifully fend for themselves before they, too, either pick up and leave or get arrested. So, when a large crowd didn't immediately disappear in a cloud of tear gas, the police were dumbfounded at first, and then panicked sit in. The rest of that first night was a back-and-forth skirmish outside the PPD headquarters and up and down 7th Avenue until the earlier hours of the morning. The openings presented on that first night went largely underutilized. There were some attempts to make a barricade out of garbage and tree branches, some windows were broken, walls were defaced, and certain individuals held up a bus for a while. Overall, the main positive quality I observed was a stubborn desire to show those <clears throat> pigs what's what. PPD evidently ran out of ammunition and ended up having to call for the state trooper's SWAT team to finally clear us out, unquote. There are also some notes for future protests that many of us have heard before. Return Fire, Volume 6, Chapter 2, Out! From returnfire.noblogs.org 84 pages of mostly European anarchy. The first half includes thoughts on lockdowns and pandemic responses, updates on the no-tav campaign, a better-than-you-might-think interview with someone from Anarchist Black Cross about lots of things, including what it means to broaden our understanding of prison while maintaining the specificity of the experiences of prisoners, a piece called How the Left is Handing Over Protest to Fascism, written from Madrid in November of 2019, but broadly applicable, a piece with some caveats by Reed Wildermuth called A New Luddite Rebellion, and a bunch of other things worth reading. I would go on describing the contents, but you might just want to read it. Just saying. The difference between just coping and not coping at all. From the Anarchist Library by Anonymous. The first article in the newest issue of Return Fire, this is a reflection and rethinking of someone's thoughts about the immediate future slash implications for state power. The following is from the editor's note. Quote, we're tired of being treated like conspiracy theorists, even by those who we once thought understood that the state does not exist to keep us safe. When we decry the unprecedented sociocidal policies of the lockdown regime, but we're also tired of premature claims that what we are facing is already a unified totalitarianism or fascism in the outmoded 20th century sense. Certain states, the US for example, 
clearly passed up opportunities to seize more centralized executive power during the outbreak, but instead allowed systematically oppressed parts of the population to sicken and die off, compared to the centralized deployment of National Guard and other federal agencies during the uprising later in 2020. Clearly, there are more complicated dynamics and histories at play. Our reading of this piece highlights the drastic need to intensify existing networks of mutual aid, decontaminated of the political appropriation of the term that the last 12 months have seen rise to, so as to rely on each other and not the system as, in symphony, we, we try, try to weaken, weaken and eventually bring it down with our attacks, blockades, and, and subversion. Unquote. We did say this mag is worth reading. Do you remember? It was just a couple minutes ago! Anathema, Volume 7, Issue 2, from Anathema. 12 pages of stories from local, for example, fracking and water politics, to international, for example, an International Women's Day statement by Monica Caballero, already published on ANews, to national, for example, the rise of a new welfare state, for now, in the form of the trillion-dollar bill just passed, and how, anarchists will, and how anarchists will not be fooled or barked at. And a note that Philly will be hosting the second annual Philly Skillshare Convergence the weekend of June 11th. That still doesn't mention anarchy, but, you know, DIY. Definitely support bringing the anarchy back to DIY and vice versa. Mission Creep from Gods and Radicals by Reed Wildermuth. There's a pretty terrible piece that outs Alexander Reed Ross as working with cops. While the authors of that piece are suspect, they do seem to have legitimate information about ARR, and this piece by Reed is a follow-up much better reasoned and written that contextualizes how terrible Ross has been, what a fucked up role he's played for groups of people who were looking for someone to tell them that they were right to be sloppy thinkers. Remember, people are only as terrible as the people around them let them be. Some of us have had no time for Ross since he, in the midst of flinging around the labels proto and neo-fascist like a spastic chicken, had the absolute gall to affix one of those names to Novatore. Anyway, this is yet another chapter in the stick around long enough and your enemies show themselves for who they are. Again, Ross is one thing. The bigger and more amorphous problem is all the Ross wannabes, who are still out there, still slinging shit, only no one knows them enough to discover that they're explicitly working with cops. Oh, there's always Shane Burley, I guess. Sigh. Anyway, this is a solid piece by Reed, and the comparison of Ross to McCarthy makes unfortunate sense. Announcing a Southeast Asian Anarchist Library from Bandaling Itim. An announcement of a new anarchist library for texts of regional value and or languages. Quote, the SEA library is also a site for new translations, such as the Vietnamese section, whose translations are all original. Texts such as David Graeber's classic, Are You an Anarchist? have been translated into Tagalog, Indonesian Malay, Vietnamese, and Thai. In this manner, the SEA library acts as free platform for anarchist propagandists in the region, unquote. It will use the same model as the anarchistlibrary.org with ready-to-print downloads, ebooks, and book builder capacity. They're also looking for translators and texts in Burmese, Lao, and Khmer in particular. Who were the Kronstadt rebels? From CrimeThink, quote, Who were the Kronstadt rebels? Disciples of Lenin and Trotsky have largely found their efforts to rationalize the violent suppression of the Kronstadt uprising on their leaders' allegations regarding the politics and class backgrounds of the sailors, soldiers, and workers who participated in the uprising. Rounding out our retrospective on the 100-year anniversary of the Kronstadt Rebellion, we present an analysis from Andrei Kolyanov, an anarchist from St. Petersburg, addressing this important question. Because many of the primary sources regarding the revolt have yet to be translated from the original Russian, 
it is important to center research about the Kronstadt Revolt that draws on materials that are not available in English, unquote. History, am I right? Flavia, Roberto, Nico, and Francesca have been released from prison from malacoda.noblogs.org. This is mostly the announcement that these four are out of prison, although not allowed to leave the cities where they live and required, quote, to return at night, unquote, return to their residences, one assumes. There is also some background about the case. Good news, one hopes. Natasia transferred from Piacenza to Santa Maria Capua Vetere prison. Another brief announcement, also with the addresses to write to her and to Beppo, but no info about what languages either of them can read besides Italian. Nonetheless, write an anarchist prisoner today. Mail to anarchist prisoners equals goodness. Words from Eric, from supporteric.king.org. They're keeping his mail from him again. Quote, I'm hoping to have the mail shit overturned before six months. In the meantime, we have trial in early October. I'm asking everyone to keep me in mind, to encourage trial attendants, to call out the BOP at every level, to please keep in touch with the site, either checking for updates or dropping a line. To all the folks who have sent magazines and books, holy fuck, thank you. Unquote. Write him. One of some people arrested in connection with a bank robbery. Yet another in a bunch of international cases against anarchists for association more than for actual activity. Quote, with his text from GADA jail, anarchist comrade V. Stathopoulos denies any involvement in both the case of the organization and the robbery. While during his plea to the investigator, he takes responsibility that for reasons of solidarity, he helped the injured anarchist D. Hatsiv Vesiliaitis. Here, solidarity towards a wounded anarchist is more than enough evidence for the mechanisms of the state to characterize someone as a terrorist to be accused of a series of acts under Law 187A. This is not the first time Comrade V. Stathopoulos has been targeted by the police mechanisms and more specifically by the anti-terrorist unit. In April 2010, he was re-arrested with a series of accusations for participation in revolutionary struggle, accusations that largely collapsed in the ensuing trial. His active presence in the anarchist movement is the reason for his being targeted then and now. For authority, solidarity is not just a foreign concept, but is a hostile value to be struck in every way. Atomization, social cannibalism, is the strategy of their choice." Unquote. Anarchy, lockdown, and crypto-eugenics from Anon. This is a thoughtful response from some UK anarchists to a piece put out by some Montreal anarchists, which goes unnamed, oddly enough, on how anarchists ought to deal with increasing state power under the aegis of a pandemic. I hate to disappoint anyone, but while there were rocky bits in here, for example, around a predictable set of class-based jargon and an overemphasis on capitalism as the primary or only force at play, among other things, it also had valuable points to make. It challenges the idea that any part of COVID or the state response to it is a conspiracy, although getting into what makes a conspiracy would have been another valid direction to go in, but whatever. It rejects some assumptions about who anarchists are, i.e. young and fit. It appropriately rejects some false dichotomies, points out some sloppy language and or thinking, and raises eugenics as a concern, all of which seem right. That said, there seems to also be some bad faith reading of the original piece, but that's hard to be clear about since I'm not totally sure which piece from Montreal this piece is responding to. Why on earth would these people not give the title of the article they're criticizing? Anyway, I expect I like the authors from Montreal more as people, but that doesn't mean that these UK anarchists don't have points worth pondering. Quote, Finally, our friend attacks the tyranny of lockdown, claiming that as anarchists this should be our aim, and that in failing to do so we have cowardly ceded ground to the far right. But their target is both abstract and confused. 
They use the terms curfew, lockdown, and closures interchangeably. One of their cited articles even describes mandated mask wearing as draconian and argue that these measures must be attacked in principle as they are imposed without consent. We argue that as anarchists, there is no state which can be consented to and that the very notion of a social contract has nothing to do with anarchy. Rather than make vague statements for hashtag freedom in the style of the Tea Party right, we must locate and attack the instruments of power and control, unquote. The comment thread for this post is kind of a mess, oddly hostile and binary, unfortunately simplistic and or bad faith reading. Am I missing something? Liberated parking in Portland from Puget Sound anarchists are one communique this week, people. Destruction of city property via easily accessible expanding foam and spray paint. Parking meters are a bit of an odd target, but they're there, and some connection is made by mention of people living in their cars, though presumably meters are only the most vulnerable and obvious of the barriers to vehicle dwellers being left alone, since neighbors, passers-by, and patrolling cops are much more the issue. But anyway, action! And certainly, quote, to hell with your upscale boutiques and quirky shops, to hell with your ivory towers, unquote! Anarchist History, Margins, and Problems from Libertarian Labyrinth by Sean Wilbur. This is an update and an outline for the next months, the phase of a chronological survey of the anarchist past, quote-unquote. Sean introduces us to the word adocratic and teases us with a project of his on an alternate history slash present based on changes in anarchist influences. Continues to be a thought-provoking and excellent series, and probably the more clarity he provides on his structure, the better. I tend to agree with a poster from a few weeks ago that specific questions for people to respond to might mean more obvious engagement with others, which might be nice for all concerned. Perhaps that will be an upcoming feature. Audio and video, an Ethiopian anarchist's perspective on the war in Tigray, an hour and nine minutes from the final straw radio. This episode starts off with a reading of Sean Swain. Woohoo! Granted, it is a somewhat behind-the-times rundown of Inseldom, it's still great to hear Sean's writing again, and his humor, of course, shines through. See, quote, genital friction, unquote. Woohoo! The remainder of this episode is a conversation with, quote, Honor, an Ethiopian member of Horn Anarchists, an anarchist group based in East Africa, particularly in Ethiopia and the Ethiopian diaspora, unquote. So, as a somewhat usual of pieces which use the term, quote, anarchist perspective, unquote, in the title, this episode involves basically no anarchism. Honor spends pretty much the entire hour going through the Ethiopian political situation, the ethnic divides in Tigray, and the massacres committed by the Ethiopian military. When Burst and Honor finally get to a portion which seems like it might involve anarchy, with 10 minutes left in the episode, they instead talk about workerism and how people can appeal to governmental and military authorities to keep their promises of protecting no, their people. Burst, what are you doing? To pull at least one positive out of this episode, it stands as an example of how strange someone claiming to represent a solution to complex, faraway places and situation scenes. System fail number seven, Brazil's little flu. 24 minutes from sub.media. Continuing an unfortunate trend of broad strokes of geopolitics and workerism, this episode of System Fail focuses on Brazil's lack of governmental response to COVID, Bolsonaro's toxic masculinity, and the ways that the people, TM, have banded together in the face of adversity to help each other, including making a food couriers union. Didas, weird robot host, then speaks to a Brazilian professor who does make some nice points about Bolsonaro being the true face of Brazilian democracy rather than just a backslide into fascism, but mostly uses the word discourse way too much in true academic fashion. As we all know, proper discourse leads to proper action. Sesame Street, 
History, an hour and 50 minutes from the Broken Record Radio Show. As I've mentioned in previous weeks, Broken Record Radio Show is an anarchist call-in radio show out of Santa Rosa, California, which, while not having the greatest politics, does have lots of charm and character. Unfortunately, this week's episode may have shown the limits of how much latent liberalism that charm can overcome, as DJ Broken Record and crew spend the vast majority of this episode discussing the revolutionary history of <clears throat> Sesame Street, and also seem to not know that an anarchist killed McKinley. <gasps> although we may not be posting what? this, although we may not be posting this podcast every week from now on, there is still something to be said for the not particularly ideological feel of the show. And judging from the few Collins I've heard them handle, they are more than happy to engage with critique. So perhaps we can use some of that good old-fashioned agency to call in and move this show into a more anarchist direction, which seems to be easier when said show still has youthful vigor and isn't helmed by a grumpy old man reading his New York Times. You mad, bro? Like that? Woo! I'm not mad. Uh, well, fuck you. Get mad. What the hell's wrong with you? Chilling. That's what's wrong. I will punch you. We're talking about okay, cool. the article <laughs> Mission Creep by Reed Wildermuth, which is in response slash also touching on the points of an article from a website called The Gray Zone talking about Alexander Reed Ross and their working al- alongside. Um... <laughs> ex-CIA and DHS and also Bigfoot erotica authors. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not Bigfoot erotica. Um, yeah. Even that is tainted by the deep state. Nice introduction there. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, like, very good specifying that he worked on so it's, side. So this article is so much better than the Grey Zone one that it's almost, it's like even mentioning them in the same breath is somewhat ridiculous. But anyway... Yes, it it is a lot more analysis and a lot less blasting facts of questionable origin at you. Yeah, or or questionable significance, mm-hmm. for that matter. Again, erotica. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Although, really, Bigfoot erotica is relevant to everything, <laughs> uh-huh. of course. Um, so, so a big part of Reed's discussion has to do with different viewpoints or different theoretical considerations of what fascism is, which I enjoyed the teasing a part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Particularly in, although it's annoying that he's calling it the Marxist framework of fascism or whatever, but (laughs) just connecting very clearly the state and fascism are more or less one and the same thing, or at least necessary for each other, as opposed to the amorphous, always underneath the surface, bad thing that's going to jump out and snap at you ver- other versions such as Reed Ross's or the Ur fascism thing. Yeah, I, I was actually interested that he implicated the echo, the Umberto echo thing, because I have looked at that and uh, I mean, I've 
there may be multiple versions of it or something, but there was one that I looked at that was a bunch of different pieces of like, this is- Yeah, they're all this points. Is, yeah, they're all these yeah. points. And they worked for me um, when I was looking at them. Like it made sense. They were not saying things like fascism is everything. Mm -hmm. They were saying fascism is these following things and it's demonstrated in these following things. So I'm not remembering it that well. This was a couple of years ago that I looked at it, but um, so you know, maybe Reed has more information than mm -hmm. I do, or something about what the implications of those of that list is. Mm -hmm. But I liked the list on the face of it. I yeah. like the that echo list too, and I think I feel like we talked about it at some point. But it was I, it was part of a bastard conference. Yeah, yeah. I think the distinction I one of the distinctions I get from Wildermuth's talking about the Marxist framework of anti-fascism and the echo thing that I liked, that I obviously I prefer the distinction is that the, the ur-fascism thing kind of makes me think like uh, this kind of heightened like fascism is eternal and we're always like about to become fascist kind of like we're all at risk of being fascist at any moment at any it moment happen, and that yeah. does lend more towards the reed ross mm -hmm. way of looking at it so there there's like yeah it kind of it kind of highlighted that for me made me question the echo thing a little bit but i would need to go over it again yeah i remember reading the not that we have to keep going on about this but i will um because <laughs> fuck you uh, <laughs> you mad, bro? You I remember in reading the Umberto Echo piece in the beginning where it's actually paragraphs, he's talking about basically how fascism isn't a real ideology. Like it was all these people kind of ad hoc putting things together and mm -hmm. calling it fascism when it was actually happening in Europe. And then goes on to list all these very specific things that are... <laughs> what fascism entails, which there was a weird dissonance between the two for me, which I actually, thinking back on it, whether or not he did it on purpose, I like because of the like play between how vague it is and how clear it seems like it should be, um, which I feel like is, yeah, I don't know, the constant thing that happens with fascism where it's, it seems incredibly clear in the moment that the bad person or a bad thing happening is fascist, and then you dig beneath the surface at all, and it's like, what are all these threads that you're connecting that are that are you're just labeling fascist and moving on or something like that. Uh, there is this, like, reading this article made me realize that at this, yeah, sort of, I guess, in a way, maybe embodying that, that sort of, like, play between the specificity and the vagueness of fascism. Um, m my entire understanding of fascism has always been both of those things. Like, and I didn't really realize that until I read this, that, Fascism to me was always this sort of vague underlying thing um, of almost like a tendency in humans, in people to act a certain way sometimes under certain circumstances, like the whole, this question of like desiring your own like oppression or something like that. Um, and it's a very vague, just like tendency that people can happen upon or can, can act out. But then at the same time is also this super specific thing. Um, that is like an external threat rather than this like internal thing. And so I don't know, I, this reading this article made me realize that, yeah, my, what I thought of as fascism is not clear at all and still isn't really, um, which is, yeah, definitely worth working on. 
Chisel, you made a face while I was saying a thing. What was? I'm thinking. Um, <clears throat> there, I'm. I'm kind. Uh, I will try to work this out in real time, and you will just all have to suffer with me. So there's something about um, the idea that. I guess it's basically it's more going off of what you said is how I'm associating it with what uh, Virga said is that uh, something can be always under the surface mm -hmm. and still part of uh, maybe maybe I'm disagreeing with Wildermuth's distinction between the Marxist and the er, fascist piece because like I appreciate the delineation or something like it clarifies some stuff but I don't know that it always totally works like that. Like we are, there is something about the definition of power as something that we are all participating in that does mean that we can always, it, it is always possible to behave in a, in a fascistic way in the same, like, like it's the situation, get the cop out of your head. Like that is mm -hmm. what they're talking about. Um, and at the same time, that doesn't, like the point is not to then strengthen the cop in your head, which is what ARR did. So, like, what the solution is, I think, is where the difference is important rather than the idea that it's something that can happen to any of us at any moment. But that's a weird... I'm not sure that I totally believe that either. Because, yeah, I don't know. I, this is why I'm still I, figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the thing the thing of definitions where do you, do you just use this big, broad term that allows people to throw a bunch of stuff under it in a way that, I mean, can work, like... you. Will like, work for what? In terms of you throw all these things under fascism, all these things that we're involved in and don't just have to do with the state. And it makes it more apparent how people are involved in reproducing yeah. society as it is. Yeah. Okay. Or do you get way more specific and call it a different word so right. that you can get this smaller and smaller definition that's more accurate? And what does what would that do for you? When both have their strengths, obviously, and both have their weaknesses, right. for sure. Um and I think that the argument for having more specific terminology um, is to ameliorate or bypass this sort of clumping together that Antifa did and is doing and that ARR was an example of and an icon for, which is, which is this lowest common denominator, everything that is bad. We will, we will pull all the people together who, who don't want to be bad. Um, and then we will define badly in the super broad way so that as many people can, like, it's a, it's a piece of mass politics. It's a piece of this, you know, we have to have lots of people on our side because that's the only way that change happens. And therefore, no significant change will happen because not enough people agree with each other to make anything fundamental happen. Is yeah. that making sense? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what discourse around fascism is other than a political language duel when it's not explicit this is my fascist it's ideology it's program it's yeah that's yeah right otherwise it's yeah. just this highly loaded political terminology the most yeah probably the most highly the most yeah i mean what's more intense as a label for a political understanding yeah in terms of bad like that's the worst there is when you want when you want to have an enemy and really know who they are just blame them for the holocaust yes godwin's <laughs> law or something um 
Yeah, I also, I mean, you started out with this, but the postulates were super helpful, even if we disagree with them, just yeah. because people being clear about what they're arguing is fucking makes it easier, <laughs> to, easier to think about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like this part. I don't like that part. I, uh, yeah, it's too bad that the threads on this comment weren't more meaningful. Mm. The comments on this thread. It's too bad that the comments on this go. thread. <laughs> Thanks you. for I writing could, a comment. I could be dyslexic. <laughs> Everything on A's news is now just referred to as a comment. Yeah, comments on comments on comments. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, one of the things, okay, so there's, I guess there's two things that I wanted to say about this piece. Uh, one of them is that I think that it's one of the very few positive things that's come out of, out of this whole Antifa thing is mm -hmm. that some people have done some good writing about it. Um, and that's not saying very much. And it's a real fucking drag that this is whatever, but like, this is, this is good. This is a good piece. And to that, you know, I, it is too easy always to focus on the icon. You know, it's too easy to focus on Hitler. It's too easy to focus on Green Gross. It's too easy to focus on the person who it's easy to sell out, you know, or like that, or not, it's easy to sell. It's easy to find fault with because everybody has faults you can find with them. But, but yeah, it's the it's the structure. It's like the people who want to, who don't want to think deeply about things, who are willing to, and part and 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 he says in his piece even like let's not do the thing that we're saying that we rusted. We don't want to like smear a bunch of people based on you know on random association or whatever. I don't remember exactly what he says, but it was something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that reminds me of like actually reminds me of a fucking old series, original series Star Trek episode where Kirk is split into good and bad personas and the action the bad persona is the one that gets things done, but mm. he's bad and mm. the good persona is good, but he can't ever do anything. And it's like, Jesus Christ, my head has been colonized by bad science fiction. Anyway. This, this idea that like people who want to think deeply about things are always going to take longer. They're never going to, like we are rarely as, as rah-rah or something. It's where you were not as motivating. Um, and so how do you, I mean, this is in a certain way, this is getting back to the Sean stuff, right? To the lab, libertarian labyrinth where he writes complex sentences and he associates lots of ideas that people aren't used to or have to go research or whatever and it makes it hard to grasp onto what the fuck he's doing in any given moment um yeah and just like is this yeah i don't know there are some people who can both be deep and be motivational at the same time but there's not very many of them yeah and i wonder i mean i'm sure some of it has to do with temperament and skill and of the individual and things like that but also just thinking about what what in the environment lends itself to like slow writing or deep contemplation and i assume part of it has to do with exposure to the internet and social media which reed is kind of a person on social media but pointedly is like talking about breaking off from that and taking breaks and so yeah i don't know i also feel it's overly simplistic to blame things on the internet but it also does seem to kind of do that to people, getting you caught in short, continuous cycles. It definitely happened before the internet, and it's yes. definitely worse now. <laughs> that was a hot take. 
That's I don't the know new what, uh, what do you what do you you young people are speaking some language I don't understand it. <laughs> That's the new segment of, or title of the segment. Hot takes. Ew, uh, no. Chisel's hot take. Oh. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, you all, <laughs> That'd be you sick. all suck. <laughs> and I believe we're done now. <laughs> this week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. What to me was written and read by Chislin Brig. We hope this podcast is useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary at anarchistnews.org to learn more. Anarchists and anti-political book pamphlets and other materials are available at littleblackheart.com for news by Andrew about anarchism not to minute commentary. See you at anarchistnews.org. Andrew, the anarchist news, IRC chat room, linked on Anus and the Pleroma, which is antisocial with three dots. You get to guess where, have fun, get a prize. <laughs> I want to fry. <laughs> <laughs>